Hello, this is Andy, and you're listening to Federal Andy. Episode 58, J6 Report, Murder Charges Against Trump. I'd like to address a couple of things from yesterday's podcast. First of all, I am aware that the volume of the podcast kept changing. I'm not sure if that's a setting that I need to change or if there's something wrong with the microphone I'm using. I'm trying out different mics, and I don't know if it's user error or if there's a problem with the mic itself or if there's another setting someplace that I need to change, but I wanted you to know that I'm aware of it, and I apologize for that, and I do have a couple of mics in route right now to try. Maybe they will be a little bit better. But at any rate, I wanted to apologize for the differential in volume. I tried to to edit it a little bit uh, or to level it out during the editing process. But uh, as I said before, I'm not great at editing. That's something I think I really probably need to spend some time on. I need to do a test podcast and edit the heck out of it and see exactly what I wind up with. And on top of that, I did want to correct one thing that I noticed. I mentioned yesterday that the introductory material to the final report from the Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol, I I mentioned that that was going to be 100 pages. It's actually 154 pages. So in and of itself, just being the introductory material, it's a pretty substantial document. And I can't even imagine what the final report is going to look like on that. But (laughs) it's going to be something substantial. At any rate, my apologies again for the volume in the podcast that I published yesterday, the one uh, on the J6 committee, the summary, and I will work on that. As I mentioned in yesterday's episode number 57, that dealt with the summary of the J6 final hearing, or actually they're calling it a business meeting instead of a hearing. I commented that the one thing that really jumped out at me among, there were lots of things, but the one thing that for some reason really stuck with me was the level of premeditation in the planning of this event. And I don't know, I didn't really assume that 
they hadn't planned anything in advance at all. I just, I guess, didn't realize how deep and how far-fetched this planning truly was and how many people certainly must have been involved in it. But one of the things that still is something I really want some answers to is we've had 18 months of investigation now by the January 6th committee and their staff members. They have apparently during that year and a half interviewed over 1,200 witnesses. And dealing with this pre-planning, this premeditation, and the committee's inquiries and investigations and, and getting testimony from witnesses, the thing that really stands out is who exactly was involved in some of this. So we know that this committee has put a, placed a criminal referral against former President Trump on four charges. And one of the things that they said was that they named Trump and they named one of his attorneys and they said, and others. It'll be interesting to see if the people that are and others are listed in the final report by name, because there are some suspicions out there about why that happened. And I'm just going to say that I'm not a huge fan of Liz Cheney. I don't like her voting record. I disagree with her on pretty much, well, I'd just say, let's just say on most things that she votes, I, I don't support. I am not fond of her family, specifically her father, former Vice President Dick Cheney, who was, of course, affiliated with Halliburton. and. Oddly enough, he became incredibly wealthy after the illegal and unnecessary wars that he, along with other people in the George W. Bush administration, lied to get the United States involved in. And how many trillions of dollars have we spent on that war? And his Halliburton stock value just went through the roof because of that. So he's definitely very, very wealthy, hundreds of millions of dollars, I would guess. And I don't think much of him as a person. The one thing that I really have to give Liz Cheney credit for is the fact that when it came to this insurrection, when it came to uh, everything that was happening with Donald Trump and with his administration, 
she put her foot down and said, this is, this is too far. This is a bridge too far for me. I cannot abide by this. And she has been a key player in the investigation. She did a lot of the interviews herself. Some of them, of course, were done remotely, but she spearheaded a lot of the interviews. And she was the vice chair of the committee. But it's been rumored, and I can't verify this yet. Maybe it will come out in the future. But it's been rumored that one of the things that Liz Cheney did not want to do was she did not want to include a bunch of Republicans who are currently sitting in Congress in the recommendations, uh, the criminal referral to the Department of Justice. And I am wondering if the and others is including a lot of members in Congress. And I can certainly see where that would be a huge problem. A lot of the folks in Congress today, and a lot of them are going to be returning next year to the 118th Congress, knowingly voted to not certify the electoral count votes, knowing that there was no evidence that there had been anything rigged, knowing that there was no reason to believe that George, or I'm sorry, that Joe Biden wasn't the legitimate president. But yet they voted to not approve the electoral count vote. And to me, that there is obstruction. I, there may be other more technical legal terms for it, but they were attempting by voting no to not approve that they were attempting to remove a democratically elected president and to apparently, I guess, reinsert the outgoing president who lost the election back into office for another four years. Now, I don't know what Liz Cheney's plans are for the future. A lot of people think that she might be a contender for the Republican ticket to run for the president in 2024. And because of that possibility, she didn't want to be responsible for outing all of these Republicans in Congress. But the bottom line is the Trump supporters will never support Liz Cheney for president because to them, she is the enemy. They think that uh, all of this stuff has been made up fabricated, falsified as just a big witch hunt, witch hunt against their idol and cult leader, Donald Trump. And he can do absolutely no wrong. Although some of them are not happy about the Trump 
trading card thing. A lot of people I have <laughs> been seeing lots of negative comments from Trump supporters. So he definitely has lost some support because of that. And, you know, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. But there may be some ulterior motives with Liz Cheney. And if she is covering up for her Republican peers in Congress, that is a problem for me. But I guess we'll find out. That's just a rumor. Nobody has, I haven't been able to verify that. But in addition to that, there are still some gaps involving this whole, the, the premeditation of the planning and the witness tampering after the January 6th committee started calling people in for interviews. And yesterday at the business meeting of the January 6th Select Committee, Representative Zoe Lofgren, and I may have pronounced her name Zoe yesterday, and if I did, I apologize for that. It is, it's spelled Z-O-E, and usually I guess Zoe is Z-O-E-Y, but it's pronounced Zoe Lofgren. She's a Democrat from California. She commented that the committee had, quote, obtained evidence of efforts to provide or offer employment to witnesses, end quote. But in the summary report, there's nothing about witness tampering in that report. So why was that not included in the other criminal referrals. There were basically four different criminal referrals. Why wasn't that included? And according to what Representative Lofgren said, that the report is going to show that an attorney, a lawyer, who apparently is being paid by a group that's allied with President Trump, and that was that was a quote. Uh, quote is group allied with President Trump. And this lawyer allegedly, according to a witness who gave testimony under oath, said to this witness that she could claim that she didn't recall certain events even if she did, and kind of guided her away from some facts regarding Trump and what she knew that would be very negative toward Trump. And apparently, provided details about her testimony to other lawyers and to some members of the press over her objections. So that would seem to create a huge conflict there to me. And the same witness said that uh, 
and apparently it is a female, said that she was also, quote, offered potential employment that would make her financially very comfortable as the date of her testimony approached by entities apparently linked to Donald Trump and his associates, end quote. So kind of a quid pro quo in a way, if you will claim that you don't recall certain events and just fail to mention some negative things that you might know about Trump, we will be in a position to offer you uh, a job that will make you financially very comfortable. It's a bribe. <laughs> the report says, quote, the select committee is aware of multiple efforts by President Trump to contact select committee witnesses. The Department of Justice is aware of at least one of those circumstances, end quote. So, you know, tampering with witnesses is yet another crime. Why is that not part of the criminal referral? And I realize that the criminal referral, referral doesn't really have any doesn't have any stickiness to it. It's not it doesn't require the Department of Justice to do anything, but it certainly is more is an incentive for them to not just ignore this. And uh, apparently um, Axios asked Representative Jamie Raskin, who was also on the committee, he's a Democrat from Maryland. Uh, when Axios asked Representative Raskin about this specific issue, he said, quote, we wanted to proceed where we feel the evidence is overwhelming and not throw out dozens of charges. We're very focused on what we actually know, end quote. And the report does cite some news articles that have come out that indicate the Justice Department is already looking into this potential witness tampering. And, and as we uh, saw in the previous quote, that the Department of Justice is aware of at least one of those circumstances in, in involving witness tampering. So maybe this is something that is included in the report in a different way as a suggestion that this perhaps needs to have continued research or investigation. And there has been also among these folks who testified, it's my understanding they all testified under oath. Two in particular, Kaylee McEnany, who was Trump's press secretary for a while, and his daughter, Ivanka Trump, apparently were not as forthcoming with information as they should have been. And this is 
proven by either a staff member, and in, in the case of Ivanka, uh, it was some of her testimony apparently was contradicted by her former chief of staff, which is a woman by the name of Julie Radford. And other White House aides who were not near the top of the Trump administration apparently have better memories than people like Haley and Ivanka. So were these people holding information back? And was that because perhaps a lawyer hired by Trump got to them as well and said it would be helpful if you would do so-and-so and we will take care of you financially. We'll give you something if you do. Honestly, with Kaylee and with Ivanka, it wouldn't surprise me if that was um, if that was the case. And of course, some of the witnesses are employed by different organizations and companies that are linked to Trump. And one of the things that was mentioned by the panel was the America First Policy Institute. So there, there's a lot of people that do rely on Trump for their income. And it certainly would be difficult to <laughs> testify against him. And knowing the kind of person he is, they would certainly lose their job and then they would become an enemy. And of course, there are some lies in Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows' book, that um, somehow managed to get through, I guess, to other people who provided testimony that seemed to coincide with that of what Mark Meadows said in his book. And I guess the committee believes that a lot of that stuff may not actually be true. So there's a lot of questions still. Another question that I have is, I want to know about the gallows and the noose that was set up at the Capitol. That was there seems to be disagreement as to whether or not it was functional, whether it actually could have acted as a gallows. Most people are saying, no, it couldn't. But it was certainly there for a reason. It was meant to make a statement. And the comments that the crowd was screaming about hanging Mike Pence, obviously, <laughs> if they had gotten their hands on him, it would have not been good for Vice President Pence. And whether they thought it would work and would find out that it didn't, or who knows. But I, I'd like to know who, who brought the gallows, because seems to me that that would be something that would have been easy to spot on 
security cameras as it went through the streets of Washington, D.C. If it was in the back of a pickup truck, maybe they had it in some sort of a covered van or something. But I would think that there would been would have been someone who would have noticed a group of people pulling that thing out and setting it up, or possibly it was assembled there on the on the spot. I don't know. Just seems I'd like to know about that because it seems that that was definitely planned ahead of time and coordinated ahead of time. And I'd like to know: Did somebody in the Trump administration or Roger Stone or somebody like that have knowledge of that, or were they involved in in that? Because it may have just been symbolic, but it it does go along with the pre-planning of this whole thing. And it shows that it wasn't just a just an impromptu event. They got all stirred up at the last minute. They weren't really planning on doing anything. The fact that they had Confederate flags with them and some of them were armed and some of them had these weird costumes on and, you know, the guy with the painted faces and all that stuff. Um, the nylon straps to handcuff people's hands behind their back and stuff like that. I'd like to know, was Roger Stone involved in that? Was it Donnie Jr.? Who? Who was involved in that? And uh, another thing that is kind of interesting to me is who disabled or, and who actually removed the panic buttons from U.S. Representative Ayanna Presley's Capitol Office suite before the January 6th insurrection. Was there some sort of a conspiracy against her? Apparently, she was the only one who had the panic buttons removed. And there uh, is... Uh, there's information that indicates that rep that Representative Jamal Bowman, who's a Democratic Democrat from New York, uh, posted on Twitter that he didn't have panic buttons during the insurrection. And of course, he was just three days into his term at that point, and they were installed uh, the following week. And so. And, and apparently the office that Presley was using did have panic buttons in it, multiple panic buttons in the office, and all of them had been removed. And nobody seems to know why. So <laughs> was there a plan in place to do something to her that didn't? carried out or was it just a matter of because you have new people coming in somebody noticed that the buttons in her office were old and needed to be replaced and they pulled them out seems like they would have told somebody in the office we're taking your panic buttons out because they're old or they don't work anymore or whatever and we'll be replacing them but there doesn't seem to be any record of that 
And it's my understanding that those uh, emergency panic buttons were tested on a fairly regular basis. I think I had that written down somewhere in my notes. And uh, I don't see them now. Um, Oh, it says that the staff in that office had used the buttons before and that they are regularly tested and maintained. So I haven't seen an answer. Apparently, there are governmental agencies that are looking into this. But I haven't seen any answers to that. So that is something I'd still like to know about. And I would like to know more about Vice President Pence's key cards that allow people to have access and move freely around the Capitol. They have key cards that unlock doors that can be programmed in and out of the system. And apparently Pence's key cards and those of his Secret Service and of his staff members were not working on January the 6th. And I'd like to know if that is indeed true and who disabled them. Somebody has to know. Somebody has to have seen somebody doing something or there has to be some record in a computer somewhere that so-and-so came in and disabled this at such and such a time on such and such a date and then find out why that happened. I do have more unanswered questions about this entire January 6th incident. And we know for a fact that on January 6th, 2021, a mob of pro-Trump people appeared on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol, overwhelmed law enforcement, and breached the facility. In the process of doing that, they caused millions of dollars worth of damage. They caused the certification of the 2020 presidential election to be delayed. And that certification is a constitutional requirement that is to be performed on that at a specific date because of this riot insurrection whatever you want to call it domestic terrorist attack the Senators and representatives in Congress, their staff members, journalists who were there to cover the event, 
had to be evacuated, and this caused a huge delay in the procedure. Law enforcement officers had to draw their weapons and fire shots as these mobsters, these rioters, smashed through windows and doors to enter the Capitol. And, and this was in particular in an attempt to enter the House chamber, which had been secured. One woman in particular was shot and apparently later died. And yes, that was unfortunate, shouldn't have happened. But the bottom line is this woman was where she should not have been because the Capitol was closed to the public on that particular day due to COVID. It had been closed for some time. And she was trying to enter a secured part of the secured building. which had been breached. The building had been breached, but the house chamber had not been breached at that point. So all in all, on January 6, 2021, as a direct result of the insurrection, domestic terrorist attack, I, I'm really not sure what to call it. Four people died, and that includes the woman who was shot by a, I think it was a member of law enforcement. And by the end of the week, another person would die, and that would uh, make it a total of five. There was apparently an adult female and two adult males who had separate medical emergencies uh, which resulted in their deaths. Now, whether or not those medical of emer emergencies would have occurred had they not been involved in whatever activities they were involved in on that particular day, if they were sitting at home watching TV or if they were at work, is it possible that the medical emergency that happened wouldn't have happened, or maybe they could have received medical care quicker and it might have saved their lives. We we don't we don't know. We don't know. So <laughs> so we have five people who died directly because of what happened on January the 6th. And what happened on January 6th was very clearly caused by and incited by and encouraged by President Donald Trump. So my question is, why is Donald Trump not being charged with murder? Five people died. Why is he not being charged? Now, I realize that people have 
First Amendment rights, freedom of speech. But the First Amendment says, quote, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, end quote. And while it specifically states that this applies to Congress, the protections are also against state governments and local governments, local public officials, and it prevents them from making any law that restricts a person's freedom of speech. So the First Amendment applies only to governmental agencies and people involved in those agencies that have the ability to make laws. And it says specifically those entities cannot write laws that abridge a person's freedom of speech. Does not apply to private companies. But here's the thing. Just because the government can't make any laws to restrict a person's freedom of speech, that does not necessarily mean that individuals can just go out and say anything that they want to. The First Amendment is intended to promote, ensure the promotion of the free exchange of ideas. And if for some reason a citizen feels that they have been restricted by their government from the free exchange of ideas, they have a way to redress this issue. And while the First Amendment does protect unpopular forms of speech, you can say that you hate the country and the country's evil or whatever, and you know, that's okay as long as you're not inciting people to do something. There are certain forms of speech that are not protected by the First Amendment. It is not without restrictions. You can't just say anything you want to because you feel you have a right to say something. So there are things known as fighting words. And that is speech that is used to inflame another person or to inflame a situation. Speech that would likely incite some sort of a physical attack or retaliation of some sort because of what was said. 
any type of language that is intended to incite a mob, for instance, at the U.S. Capitol toward some sort of, uh, of an action that is lawless, illegal, that isn't protected. That is not covered by the First Amendment. So any kind of speech that is intended to incite violence or to encourage the people that you are speaking to to commit illegal acts is not covered. And the test for fighting words is fairly simple. It is whether an average citizen would view what has been said as being inherently likely to provoke some sort of a violent response on the part of the people who are listening. So that is a fairly simple, simple thing to understand, I think. Uh, obscenity, libel and slander, crimes. Uh, uh, child pornography, of course, is not protected by freedom of speech. Uh, threats, violation of copyright, things like that are not covered. So, again, my question is, why has Donald Trump not been charged with murder? because of what happened. It seems to me that he very clearly incited those people probably would not have reacted the way that they did that day had it not been for Trump and the things that he said. If Donald Trump that morning had told everybody, I'm glad you're here. It is humbling to me that you care this much. I thought we were going to win. You obviously thought we were going to win. We all worked really hard. But it appears that Joe Biden did, in fact, win. We have gone to court and presented the evidence that we thought would justify some sort of legal action to reassess this situation. And time after time, judges, including some of the judges that are in their seats because I appointed them, all of them have said that there's not enough evidence. So we have to go along with what the Constitution says, and next time we'll just have to try harder. So go home in peace. Thank you for coming. It means a lot to me. We'll get together and we will tackle this again on another day. Do you think that they would have charged the Capitol and done all of that? No, I don't think they would have.
some of them may have definitely been there with the intention of stirring things up. So there might have been some minor problems, and that is apparently what law enforcement was prepared for. They were prepared for a large group of people, but they weren't prepared for those people to attack the U.S. Capitol. <laughs> That's kind of a uh, kind of a big thing. So that's what I would like to know. Why in the heck is Donald Trump not being charged with some of these things that have occurred? Is there more to this than we know right now? Or is this something that the Department of Justice is looking at and the January 6th committee didn't get into that area simply because they knew that it was kind of beyond the scope of their investigation. I don't know. Attorney General Merrick Garland has said that they are going to go wherever the evidence leads. And we all have seen the video or possibly watched it live on television when Trump incited these folks to go to the Capitol and fight, fight for your country. Fight. That's a fighting word, isn't it? He didn't say peacefully. He didn't say within the limits of the law. We don't want anybody breaking any laws here. You know, you can't hit people. You can't threaten them. You can't destroy property. You have to abide by the law and you have to do this peacefully. Don't push anybody around. But he didn't say that. He said, we have to go fight. And he wanted to go with them. He wanted to be there. He knew they were armed. He knew. He said that. They're not after me. Let them in. Let all these people that have all of these arms, let them in. <laughs> so is there more coming that we just don't know about yet? Or are they willing to look the other way on, I mean, murder seems to me to be probably the most serious crime a person could commit. You're taking somebody else's life from them. And even if you're not doing it directly, if you are encouraging it and inciting it through the use of your words, it seems to me you too are responsible for the death of those five people. In an interview on Fox News back on January 11th, 2021, Donald Trump said, quote, there were no guns whatsoever, end quote, referring to the Capitol riot on January the 6th. And, of course, that is not true. And there are multiple examples of people and the weapons that they had with them. Uh, one man from Alabama had a handgun, a rifle, and a shotgun, all of them loaded. And the truck 
apparently, that he was driving held hundreds of rounds of ammunition, several large-capacity ammunition feeding devices, a crossbow with bolts, machetes, camouflage smoke devices, a stun gun, and 11 Molotov cocktails. <laughs> wow. Okay. Another guy from uh, Maryland. Um, was wearing a gun on his hip. And it was visible, apparently. And uh, apparently a, an officer noticed it and alerted fellow officers about it. And uh, so the handgun that he had was loaded and he had separate magazines as well. Another person from Texas has been charged with bringing a handgun onto the Capitol grounds. So, <clears throat> excuse me, there were weapons there. And Donald Trump pretty much acknowledged that when he was saying, you know, to let the people in, you know, they... They're not, they're not here to hurt me. <laughs> of course, why would he care if they were going to hurt anybody else, huh? All in all, five people died. 140 other officers were injured, some of them with injuries that are now uh, going to be chronic. They're going to have to live with them for the rest of their lives. They were just doing their jobs, trying to protect the country, which is also what Donald Trump is supposed to have been doing on that day, and he wasn't doing it. He failed miserably, and he failed intentionally at doing his job. Rioters called for hanging uh, then-Vice President Mike Pence and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They were screaming for Nancy. The last damage estimate that I heard for the Capitol was in excess of $1.5 million. And of course, um, there's been a, a bill, I think, that has passed since then that's providing security funding to cover uh, the various expenses of, uh, you know, tightening up security around the U.S. Capitol, uh, trauma counseling for the officers who were traumatized. I mean, can you blame them? They're being beaten by their fellow citizens. Would it have been different if they were in the military and they were fighting a war with a foreign country? You know, being attacked is being attacked, but when you're doing your job and it's to protect your country and your own fellow citizens, the people that you are there to help protect, attack you, that's to me is uh, more of a burden to deal with, I think, over and above something that's already almost unimaginable. So, yeah, um, 
Trump's statement that there were no guns whatsoever. And uh, that people with no guns walk down to the Capitol is just absolutely a lie. Court records and news reports and videos show that many of these folks were armed. Several have been charged with having firearms on the Capitol grounds or stashed nearby. And in addition to that, uh, a lot of the rioters had weapons other than firearms and used them during the attack. So, another lie. Another lie. And in a just world, I think that there would be some sort of law that prohibited the President of the United States from lying to the American people. I think there ought to be a law that prohibits anybody who has been elected to serve the public to knowingly tell a lie. They ought to be sanctioned or removed from their seats because the people who have trusted them with these positions, these public service positions, are depending on them to do the right thing. And if you lie to the folks that you're supposed to be looking after, protecting their interests, I think that you should not be able to keep that job. And every single day, you can go on Twitter and you can see posts from elected officials that are just outright lies. And it can only be a couple of things. Either they are intentionally lying for political reasons, or two, they are woefully uninformed, in which case, why are they in that position if they don't know better? Or they're being possibly paid to tell a lie. You know, <laughs> climate change isn't real. It's just normal. It's happened in cycles ever since the beginning of time. And thank you to the fossil fuel industry for my big campaign donation. It's very much appreciated, and I'm working hard to earn it. Well, that's it for this podcast, folks. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your time. And I'm working on the mic problems. I know that this one, I've kind of gone back and checked in. It sounds like I'm in an echo chamber and I'm not. So I think it has to do with this particular mic. And hopefully that'll be remedied with the ones that are en route. Maybe one of them will things a little bit better. If not, I will keep trying until I find something that works and I'll work on the volume level of the podcast as well. I listen to podcasts all the time and I've got a couple that the volume level is much louder than other podcasts. 
And I hate that because it really, especially if you're listening with earbuds, it really hurts your ears. And my podcast has uh, a leveling function that's supposed to level out the sound to keep it within a certain range so it doesn't get too loud. And I guess I might still need to play with that because I've noticed the volume level on mine sometimes is a little lower than others, but I would rather have it lower than loud and have it blow out your eardrums like some of them uh, do on mine. If I know they're coming up, I turn the volume down so that I don't have my ears blasted. Anyway, hopefully in the future things will get better. I'm certainly trying, and I appreciate you listening. Appreciate your time. Take care. Have a great day. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening. I would be grateful to you if you'd subscribe and share this podcast to let your friends and family know about it. You can also find me on Twitter at FederalAndy, and I'd be really grateful if you would follow me. I usually follow back. Be happy, safe, and healthy, and I'll hopefully be talking to you again next week. Mm -hmm.